This is the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. Boundaries or burnout, you make the choice. Here's your host, Michael Levitt. Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. It's Michael here, and I've got Jules Peary on the line. Hey, Jules, how are you? Good, Michael. How are you? I am great. It's a sunny day, and living in Toronto, you get about five of those a year, so I'm enjoying <laughs> every second of it. So you just recently um, released a book, and it's How We Make Stuff Now, Turn Ideas into Products That Build Successful Businesses. So what what drove you to write the book and, and, and tell the audience a little bit about the backstory about the Gromit, which is an absolutely amazing organization. So we launched innovative products from small businesses and we've been launching one product a day since 2008. And if you do the math, we um, have launched 3000 of them. And it's been a fascinating thing to see all these small businesses have to conquer all the same problems in isolation. So, Many of them grown to be very, very big, like Fitbit or SodaStream or Otterbox or Mrs. Myers, Bananagram, Swell Water Bottles. Um, and many of them could have been bigger if they could crack some of their business um, challenges. So I wrote the book to help them, basically, because I've had a front seat on 3,000 companies and their struggles and successes. It's amazing that you've had access to so many businesses like that in such, quite frankly, 2008 isn't that long ago. I mean, that's, that's a lot of work to launch a business. I've you know, been a part of a few launches myself, and I'm, I'm just trying to wrap my head around 3,000 and going, wow, that's, that's a lot. And you know, the names that you mentioned, you, you said SodaStream, it's like I have that in my house. Well, one of my daughters has one of those, you know, Fitbit. Yes. You know, it, it, just these things that, that we have in our lives today that, you know, most people wouldn't want to live without. And these things potentially could not have existed if it wasn't for your organization existing. It's um, yeah, it's an honor. It's a privilege. It's a responsibility. Honestly, um, it is a lot of work. We look at 300 products a week to launch six. So we're seeing, you know, kind of the, the coal face, we're at the coal face of innovation. And um, the reality is, you know, why do we need to exist? I guess is probably a question people might wonder. And it's really more of a story about retail that retail's gotten very, very consolidated into larger and larger chains and online marketplaces. And online marketplaces aren't great for new products because you don't search for things you don't know exist, right? You, you search for things you want, you already know what you want. So they get lost, they get buried. And the big, big retailers, the big chains, um, as they've gotten so giant, can't take the risks and can't deal with the pain in the neck of taking on small suppliers. It, it legitimately is a ton of work for them to onboard a new supplier and if a, a company has only one or two products, it's, 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 it sounds harsh, but it's almost not worth their trouble. And you see that a lot um, where, you know, knowing, you know, some of the big retail players like, like Walmart, for example, or Amazon, it's not easy to get your product carried by them. They want to see traction and they want to see, you know, what are other vendors, you know, buying, you know, where are you selling this? 
you know, product elsewhere. And unfortunately, as we keep seeing this amalgamation of, of shopping locations getting down to where we're running out of choices of where we can buy products and services, it's hard to prove, yeah, we, we, we you know, could sell this at all of these different retailers, but all of those smaller organizations are, are, are going out of business or getting gobbled up by somebody else. So that's one of the biggest challenges when you have the Amazons of the world that are just literally you know, taking over the industry. And it, it's got to be problematic for a lot of these vendors to, to you know, get their products out there you know, for the consumers to find. You nailed it. And it's something obviously we all intuitively care about. We want choice. We want innovation and uh and our retail systems are are kind of going in the opposite direction and and here's the insane thing the innovation is better than ever like from small companies which is mostly a technology story uh the internet probably was is the biggest reason because you can figure out how to do this now you can figure out how to find a manufacturer or designer or how to package a product and things that used to be kind of hidden behind the doors of a big company they're out there now. So better products are getting born, and there are glimmers of hope even at retail. Uh, the the consumer packaged goods industry is the one that has the best metrics in terms of market share and shifts. And in grocery, in particular, in the U.S. now, I'm talking. In the last six years, small brands have gobbled up 19% share from the existing incumbents. 19%. And that gives me hope because even within retail, there is, is some progress because consumers are demanding it. They don't want the same old, same old when it comes to food. And I think a lot of that has to do with health. A lot of it has to do with lifestyle. The big brands have underinvested. They put very little into R&D. They put everything into marketing. So, you know, the, the little brands in food have taken advantage of that. So if you imagine that happening in all categories, um, the challenge is we all go to grocery stores, right? Like we show up for food in person most of the time. And only 2% of groceries are delivered online. It's the other categories which uh, we don't show up for as much. And, and that's what the, those are the categories we're solving. Yeah, I've noticed that too in, in the grocery stores where you know, a lot of smaller organizations you know, are getting more shelf space than you know, they did several years ago. My first job in the 80s was at a grocery store and pretty much all the products and services were from big name organizations. You know, every once in a while, you know, we'd carry a product that was manufactured by a smaller organization or possibly a local business. And it was a locally owned family grocery store. It wasn't like it was a chain, uh, but all the products and services were, you know, pretty much, you know, the name brand stuff that you would see, you wouldn't necessarily see any localized uh, products. So it's great that that opportunity exists and we're starting to see that. And, and I agree with you. I, I think people are, you know, are getting tired of, of what they find in the middle of the grocery store and they want to see, you know, more healthier options in the perimeter and actually throughout the entire store. Yes. Yes, and so you just sort of play that out along all product categories. They want differences, like products that aren't just food that um, reflect their values. If it's you know living sustainably or supporting 
underrepresented entrepreneurs or companies that make products locally, whatever it is, you know, people have values, they're all different and products can reflect those values and if, if, if you just can get access to them. Absolutely. So of these you know, hundreds of products that you get um, exposed to on, on a daily basis and over, you know, the last uh, dozen or so years, or almost dozen years, you know, 3,000 products. What are some of the key things that uh, these businesses need to focus on? You know, maybe three or four things that they really should uh, hone in on when they're getting ready to, you know, pitch their product and, you know, looking for investors or, you know, package quality, whatever, whatever you want to talk about, you know, that, that will help them be successful with their product launch. So I would um, say I'd even back up before they're ready to pitch and, and, and make sure part of the pitch is um, in their own personal decision-making about starting businesses. Is there a large target market? Don't go after a small, very niche market if you intend for this business to be your livelihood. It's just so much work to do it no matter what the scale. So why not go for something that's a bit bigger? And that needs to be quantified in terms of the population who would have the problem or have the lifestyle or have the activity that you want to be part of. That, that's something you can actually work on as a, as a pure research project. So that'd be number one, target market. Um, number two, I'm thinking of early days stuff. Name your company after your vision, not just your first product. We talked a minute ago about how large retailers don't really like to deal with companies with a single product. And some of that's just sort of common sense. Like in a store, if you have a single product, people are likely to just walk by it. So you're likely to want to develop a product line and name the company after that. An example that would be my friend Leah Bosque started the company that's called TaskRabbit. This is the company we know, the name we know today, but she started it, it was called Run My Errand which is a much narrower take on the, on the business. It, it, it was literally just running errands. And people started using TaskRabbit for building Ikea furniture and other handyman things and for business tasks and all kinds of things. So the vision was bigger than the actual product name so, or the company name. So be careful about that. Um, I'd say protect your intellectual property. And that ranges from your company's name to its logo to seeking any possible design or utility patents because um, it, in a very transparent world, your intellectual property is at more risk than it normally would be. Now maybe a final vetting thing is, how do you know you're gonna make money? And one of the kind of rules of thumb is that if the cost of the product, you know, like it's in your hands, in a package, been manufactured, if it's one-fifth of the ultimate retail price, one-fifth or less, then you probably are going to have a decent margin to be able to support all the other business activities beyond buying the product. So that means marketing, that means office space and sales staff. It means giving retailers or partners margins. And one-fifth is a good rule of thumb. Those are all great things because again, you know, someone comes up with a product or a service and, you know, they're pretty confident that it's going to change the world. And like I said, the, you know, the, the 3000 things that you've launched and, you know, the Fitbits and soda streams and swell, I mean, all of these things, you see them all over the place and they do, you know, impact people's lives. 
but it's that that cost element of thing. It's like, okay, how do we get this to a way where we, as you know, the founders of an organization, you know, don't take a bath when we're trying to launch something because, yeah, you could have a great product, but if your costs are eighty <laughs> percent um, to you know what the, the retail price is, um, you're not going to make it. It's just it, you're going to be drowning unless. It somehow goes viral, and that's a you know one in a million shot, and even then, that's going to be a short-term type of situation. Yes, and and I find this is this problem is a little bigger than you would imagine, and it's because in a social media-driven world, in a world where you can put up a website in five minutes, people do start selling directly more easily than they used to be able to, and so they get this false sense of what their margins are going to be because they aren't actually doing what it will take to grow to scale. They're, they're, they're selling, you know, a small number of units at a very large profit, but that profit won't stay. Exactly. And, you know, of course, you know, having your product for sale in a store, you know, that store has to make money. You know, they've got, they've got overhead if it's brick and mortar or even in an online type of situation. That's right. Like at Gromit, we have 100 people. Now, you know, we sell online. So you might imagine that we can do that, you know, with five people. But at the scale of what we're doing and the quality of what we're doing and the support it requires, it's 100 people. That takes, you know, real capital to do that. And the retailer has all the things you just said. They typically need 50% margins. That would also be a good rule of thumb. Um, most products can support that or expected to support that or higher. There are a couple categories. Food cannot have that kind of margin. A grocery store would not expect a 50% margins, and electronics tend to have lower margins. But some products like um, some tech accessories and jewelry have 60, 70% margins. But 50 is a good rule of thumb for a retailer, what they expect. So if you sell it to them for 50, they'll sell it for 100. Yeah, like, you know, I, I have no idea what the markup would be on, like, you know, on your website today. I see a bottle keeper, insulated beer bottle holder, and I'm thinking, okay, can you sip it out of the top so it looks like you're drinking out of a water bottle? And it looks like a water bottle, but I'm guessing the the bottle, the, the neck of the beer bottle sticking out of the top is a dead giveaway. So I'm not trying to get anybody in trouble walking around drinking beer in public, but I just noticed that, and I thought, that's a pretty neat uh, neat thing, and I love the fact that it keeps it cold. I think you just invented or, uh, well, not, maybe not invented, but you just came up with the use case that I'm not sure that we were particularly going for. We were just going for cold, but you went for like, I used to sit on the sidelines of my son's, you know, there's a, a phase of baseball that's really horrible between T-ball and after the coach pitches to when they start pitching themselves, it's horrible. The whole season's horrible because kids can't pitch that first year. That was the year where we needed dark and stormies and beers and whatever it took to get through the six innings. Oh yeah, bottle keeper on the sidelines. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's one of those things. Yeah, that would have you know, made it uh, a little bit more bearable. But and I know with some people, if they have a few too many, they get a little bit more vocal. And we've all seen the the vocal parents and against the umps and everybody else. It's 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 entertaining to say the least. Yeah, um, and keeps it keeps us keeps us entertained for sure. So of all the products that you've seen, uh, which one uh, you know, took off? more than you thought it would um, if there is one I you know it's you know I'm always curious about you know the stories of something that that launched that you thought okay you know that that may do well and then all of a sudden it just 
you know, blows it out of the park and it just, you know, does you know, absolutely amazing. Um, one that comes to mind for me is um, Sugu, S-U-G-R-U, and it's an air-dry silicone putty. And it solves a need that you don't necessarily know you have. Essentially, if like, say your iPhone charging cord frays, and you want to put sort of a shield on that, or in my case, I have a big um, ring from my dad, too big for my finger, and I created kind of a, made the ring smaller, essentially. I fixed a lamp with it. I fixed sculpture with it. But what I just said is a little bit complicated, and you know, we've lived without Subaru for a long time. So honestly, when when it came our way, I really didn't know. I thought it, it could be something that people just don't really want to figure out. And they did. Oh my gosh, it was, when we launched that, it was the fastest product out of the gate ever. It was amazing. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's definitely cool. I love hearing stories like that because, you know, someone launches something like, I mean, I think this is going to do okay. And then it just, what in the world happened? And it, it changes, changes lives, you know, ch- you know, the, the founders and investors and all of that, the, everyone is, is happy. The consumer's happy because they have this incredible new product that is making life easier for them and, and the creators and everybody involved. It just, it just, it makes it all worthwhile. And it, yeah. it, it makes this, the creativity of, um, coming up with things to make life either easier or more enjoyable or create opportunities and things that, you know, we, we didn't have before. And that's, right. that's what I love, you know, about, about your organization and, 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 you know, the awesome stuff that it does. So if, if there was one thing, and it could be more than one, um, where someone was going to say, you know, I've got this product that I think would, would take off. I know you alluded to it before, but it, if you come across um, areas where people really don't have a product, you know, and how do you approach that with them? Because I know with all the all the pitches you get and everything, I'm sure there are are many that just um, you don't think is can go anywhere. So you know, how do you address that? You know, what what are some of the things that you do to kind of ease the blow for those uh, you know those dreamers that are, are trying to create something? Well, there are a couple buckets. We do actually engage directly with about 30 companies a week where we get their samples, we start testing products. And quite often it's it's not a it's not it's just a no for now. Like they might need to improve something. They might not have a feature or the packaging might not be ready. So those you know, those are almost more of a a collaboration. Um, if it's Something that just doesn't make sense to us, or we don't think our audience will respond, we just have to tell them that. It's no kindness to drag people along. And um, it's actually really tricky, that part of it, because we can't deeply engage with, you know, 294 companies a week um, that we aren't necessarily going to launch. And um, it's, it's it, because my business, um, I've always considered this business to have a, a strong human face to it, a strong side to it, despite the fact that we operate digitally. That pains me, frankly. I, 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 we can't do what I would like. It, it, I, what you'd like to do is, is, is have a dialogue with each of those, at least I would like to have a dialogue with each of those companies. But that, if we did that, we would, that's all we would do every week, and it's not feasible. So I, I'm, I'm admitting failure there. Well, it's, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. And it's a case of 
those organizations, you know, can, you know, explore other, other opportunities if be, or, you know, it may, you know, I, I'm, I'm confident that, you know, the ones that need to make it through and, and go on are doing that. And, and, you know, it's as much as we would love to, you know, talk with everyone and, you know, see all of their um, products and, and whatnot. Um, after a while, like you said, that's all you would be doing. Um, you wouldn't do anything else. You would just, you know, be there receiving pitches. It'd be like, you know, Shark Tank. Yeah, here's all the pitches, but they wouldn't give out any money or invest anything. It's like, no, well, thank, thank, thanks for the pitch. And, you know, and, and O'Leary would make a, a, a comment or something and then they'd go on. <laughs> but, right. uh, but, you know, that's, yeah, it's, it's difficult because, you know, there's, there's things out there and you, you and there's always that, you know, fear of missing out. It's like, what if I miss something? But you, you can't go through life like that. And and the the ones that are supposed to be seen, I'm I'm confident will be seen. I, I do feel that way. I don't feel like we make a lot of you know we over overlook a lot of things. So that that's not a fear for me at all. It's more just the uh, you know it would be nice to be able to help uh, in in many cases. I will say the book, though, has made me feel better on that front because um, people can come to us better prepared if they read the book. And a lot of what people want from us isn't just product level help, it's business level. And, um, you know, it's a whole other level of demand, you know, what, what fills my email inbox sometimes. And it's so nice to be able to say, hey, look, you know, I just spent you know, 18 months getting this book out and it's 18 months of work that you could really, you know, take advantage of in an hour or two or five, depending how much you read, because the book's like super snackable. You don't have to read it all in order to benefit from it. You can jump around in the book in any order. And um, that that's actually alleviated some of my concern about what we do or don't do. And that's one of the beautiful things about having a book is, you know, if you're in any type of consulting or coaching or a guidance type of, of role, you can put that out there and say, okay, read, read the book and follow the, the instructions on that. You know, you can have, you know, even downloadable worksheets or something. I don't know if you, if you have that in your book yet or, you know, an option type of thing. And then that way it better prepares people when they do come and present uh, or submit something to you. They've checked all of those things. So what happens then is your organization then will be more efficient uh, because you don't have to wade through a lot of it and it gets more consistency. So you could actually, you know, scale up a bit, you know, I'm not saying a ton, but um, if, if you knew that, you know, all of the, all of the pitches that were coming your way would have all the things that you would need for you to be able to, truly you know take a look at it um i think you would you would find um it a little bit easier and could probably scale up a little bit again that's just an observation um but i'm sure with the book it's going to help it's going to help a lot of people one make sure that they have everything in place before they do follow through and also uh you know a side effect of it too is some people may look at that and they go you know what that's a lot of work and I don't think my product is, is ready yet. And then they go back and they make it better. So Somebody say that my oldest son read it and he said, mom, I don't know which way this book's going to play. It's either going to give people, you know, kind of a, a recipe and, you know, a playbook and a confidence to pursue it, or they're going to read this book and run, go run screaming because it's, it's hard work. 
Well, it, it, well, if either way could work, but um, yeah. I, I think there's there's benefits, quite frankly, to both because yes. if 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 someone isn't willing to put in the work to to make their product uh, passable, if that's such a phrase we want to use, um, then we've we've saved your organization and other organizations um, the the time that they would be taking to review something that quite frankly, they haven't put the time and effort in to make it a decent product. So yeah. it's, a, it's actually, it's fine tuning things to increase the quality of what's being presented. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that you wrote the book. Great. So where can people find out more about you and, and the book and everything else you're doing? So there's a book website, which has the same name. It's how we make stuff now. And I'm updating it with, as I learn about new resources um, after, you know, since the book's done published. So it's, I'm going to keep that up basically, keep it current. The company itself is just the Gromit, G-R-O-M-M-E-T, thegromit.com. And um, all my social media is under my real name. I don't use any handles. So it's just, Jules Pieri, P-I-E-R-I. Awesome. And we'll have all those links in the show notes. So Jules, thank you. Thank you so much. uh, One, for being on the show. And then secondly, uh, for creating an environment where uh, innovators um, can create some absolutely amazing products that we all love and use on a daily basis. You're really making a ripple effect on this planet. Um, So thank you so much. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And until next time, everybody, be well. Hey, it's Michael again. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you're like many people, you're dealing with some significant stress and possibly approaching burnout. I know how you feel. In 2009, my burnout led to a year of worst-case scenarios. I do not want that to happen to you. If you go to breakfastleadership.com, you can register for a free webinar on burnout prevention, as well as get a free checklist to have successful mornings. Start off each day the right way. Again, that's at breakfastleadership.com. Also, since you are a loyal podcast listener, I'm asking you to like, rate, and review my podcast on iTunes. I look at all the reviews and appreciate your comments, and it helps other potential listeners discover the content I have on the show. I appreciate you, and thanks again for listening.